Okay, we're live. Just give me a moment. So good afternoon and welcome to today's class. Today we're going to be learning about the Torah reading of Parshas Re'eh, as well as we approach the month of Elul. Many times, especially religious people who believe in the values of the Torah and its teachings, sometimes have a complaint and say, you know, it's not fear. Or they feel this uh, neglect or avoidance of indulging in the pleasures of the world. And therefore, because of the restrictions of some call it of Torah and mitzvahs, that we're not allowed to have certain items or foods or certain type of pleasures, they say, what is it? What's the reason why God doesn't allow us to enjoy materialism to its fullest? What's the reason why we cannot have the indulgence of materialism in every side of it? Why does God deny us of the pleasures of this physical world? That if God created the physical world with so many multitude of things, why can we enjoy it? Why can we just enjoy it? And the pleasure even comes more so, especially in the month that we are currently in, the month of Elul, as we prepare for the high holidays. And it's especially the month where people are going on vacation and allowing themselves to enjoy and indulge in the materialism of the world. And as a religious Jew, we know that many things are not necessarily according to Jewish law, which is the common indulgences that we find around the world. And the question is that remains to the people of humanity, how do we restrict, refrain, restrain ourselves from these indulgences? There's a very interesting story, a Hasidic anecdote told about the two very famous brothers, student of the Magus of Magad of Mizrich, Rebeli Melech and Reb Zusha of Anipali. Rebeli Melech of Lizhensk and Reb Zusha of Anipali were two very famous brothers that would travel around teaching and encouraging people to observe Judaism, to become stronger in their faith and belief in God, help people in times of trouble. And once Reb Zusha turned to his brother Rebbe Melech and said, you know, Melech, my brother, how did you allow Adam to sin with the tree of knowledge? So Rebbe Melech looks at him and says, what do you mean, it's my fault. He lived thousands of years before me. So Reb Zusha tells him, don't you know, the Zohar says that according to the Kabbalistic tradition, all the souls were encompassed in the uh, soul of Adam. That means you were in the soul of Adam. So how did you not tell the soul of Adam, if you were part of the soul of Adam, that he should have hesitated and not eaten from the tree of knowledge? You should have grabbed that fruit out of his hand and not allow him to eat it. So Rabbi Melech turns to his brother, Rabbi Zusha, and says, Zusha, my brother, I purposely allowed Adam to be able to eat from the tree of knowledge. Because imagine Adam wouldn't have eaten from the tree of knowledge. Imagine the regret he would have been saying his whole life. I, what if I would have tasted from it? What if I would have had from it? Who knows what kind of pleasure I'm missing out? But once he tasted it, oh, he's not missing out anything. He realizes that what he has, it wasn't so great. It wasn't so wonderful. And you know what it teaches us? A Rebbe Melech told Reb Zusha. He says, you know what? We realized that things that look so beautiful and so glamorous from distant, when you really taste it, it's not that great. 
whenever you see something shining and beautiful and it's so too, too good to be true, as they say, the moment you taste it, you see it's really fake. The same thing is also, we see the world has this beautiful, glamouring, shimmering effect. It's wow! The indulgence of materialism. And what happens when you taste it? You taste a little bit of it. Okay, you start saying, wow, it's exciting. But then all of a sudden you see, what is it? Okay, so you had another vacation, another enjoyment, another enjoyment, another enjoyment. What did it do for you? What did it accomplish? But we come to understand and we realize that this concept and what we're going to talk about today is how do we stand up to the challenges of the world? How do we stand up to the challenges of materialism that looks so glamorous, looks so beautiful, looks so tempting, and to these temptations. How are we able to stand up to say, you know what, I'm losing seemingly out on the pleasures of life. And especially now we're in the month of Elul. The Rebbe tells us and mentions many times that in the month of Elul, as the king is in the field, it is easier for us to overcome and to appreciate what this means, the pleasures of life. And therefore, we have to look a little deeper. And today we're going to, by viewing the Torah reading as the prism of Moshe giving us the opportunity and the energy to help us navigate these issues that we may have in life, seeing beyond the temporary and looking for what the greater goal is that is in mind. And with this, we begin this week's Torah reading. This week's Torah reading begins by Moshe telling the Jewish people, Riei, See what I have before you. Moshe all of a sudden tells the Jewish people, Look, behold, I place before you the life and the opposite of life. The blessings and end the curses. But Moshe uses the terminology, he says, See, before you I have placed the blessing and the opposite of blessing. What is Moshe telling the Jewish people? He is he telling them and antagonizing them and saying, taste the opposite of blessing, taste the curse? What was Moshe telling the Jewish people? So if we look throughout the Torah readings, in the order of where we're coming from, the first three Torah readings in the book of Deuteronomy are all rebuke that Moshe is giving the Jewish people. He's telling the Jewish people what they did wrong, how they were, how they were antagonistic to what God said, how they were un appreciative to what God was offering them and every single time God was kind with them they were not receptive to it and they were just uh, abusing the very fact and the good that God has given them all of a sudden in this week's Torah reading Moshe now begins to tell the Jewish people about the commandments that are given to them and in this week's Torah reading Moshe mentions 55 mitzvahs next week's Torah reading he tells us 41 mitzvahs and in the Torah reading of Kiseitze, he talks about, in fact, it's the Torah reading that has the most mitzvahs in the Torah, 74 mitzvahs. That means within these three Torah readings, this week, next week, and the following, 170 mitzvahs are mentioned. That means almost a third, 30%, I'm sorry, of all the mitzvahs in the Torah are mentioned within these three Torah readings. What is it? That after the rebuke of the three Torah readings, all of a sudden he goes on to tell us about so many mitzvahs, 170 mitzvahs within the next three Torah readings. One of the great scholars of the, of the 15th century, Rabbi Yosef Bechor Shor from the first Bali Atosvos, mentions and explains it as follows. 
that Moshe was explaining to the Jewish people something we don't necessarily see in the first rite. Moshe was explaining to the Jewish people that there are two ways in life, that life is a two-way road. There are two ways one can take. There's one road, and because we have the freedom of choice, we can choose which road to take. And one road may seem easy, and may seem very possible and plausible. But he tells them, listen here, there's one road which is going to lead you to life, to blessings, and the other road is going to lead you to the opposite of it. What Moshe was telling the Jewish people was, it's not about that you have a menu, and if it's, I want chicken or meat. It's about sugar or poison. It's about something sweet or something dangerous. It's not about a difference of the menu that what you see in life, it's either I choose materialism or spirituality. It's not that I can have some middle way that I can go. It's either this way or that way. Even more so, Moshe is telling the Jewish people, is that when we look at life and we look at the things that are given to us before us, things that seemingly look pleasurable and palatable may be the most dangerous thing for you. And therefore, he reminds them to look beyond what we see in the regular life and what you see in front of you. He reminds them and he sees, you know, you're going to look around the world and you see all these wicked people doing things terribly wrong and they seem to be successful and enjoying life. And you say, maybe I should join that bandwagon. And therefore, he says, no, 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 don't look at the temporary pleasures that these people have. Look at the future. A Jew has to be patient and recognize and see that there's something more. There's a long, short road. In the words of the Medrash, the Medrash tells us that Moshe was telling the Jewish people that you may say that there are two ways, a way of life and a way of death. Which one should I take? And he tells the Jewish people, choose life. He's explaining to them and he says, you know, imagine you're sitting in the fork of a road and you see one road is smooth and beautiful, but at the end, it's thorny and it's dirt and it's difficult to pass. But then you have a road that right over here may be a little difficult to pass, but once you get past these difficult times, it's a beautiful, smooth sailing road, smooth and from there on. Over here, he was telling the Jewish people as well, the road to materialism, you see the evil people maybe enjoying life. Yes, right now it's a smooth sailing road, but it's really thorny and difficult at the end and they get stuck at the end. For you may be a little challenging right now, but it's smooth sailing. Look for the future. Don't just resort to going to what you see is easy right now. The word bracha and klala, blessings and curses. The Vilna Gaon explains and says, that the concept of death and life one can see clearly. So therefore Moses describes death and life as something that you can see clearly. But in this case he tells them, see. with a blessing and a curse, we don't always see and appreciate what is truly a blessing and what is actually a curse. Sometimes it is easy to confuse what is essentially a blessing and a curse. Sometimes something which may seem like a greatest blessing turns out to be a curse, and something that which seems like to be a curse turns out to be a blessing. But let's look at the words of Moshe himself in this week's Torah reading. In this week's Torah reading, in the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 11, Moses begins and says, look beforehand, I've given you the blessings and curses. The blessings is if you follow what God tells you to do, 
and the curses if you don't follow what God tells you to do. And if we look at this question, many of the great commentators throughout the ages have asked the question, first of all, why does he say this terminology, see, re'e, look? Also, he uses a terminology, anochi, I am. Who is he referring to? Why is this used in singular term? Using a terminology the way God begins the Ten Commandments, anochi, I am. Who is he referring to? Look, I am giving before you. The commentary Dora Chaim explains and says that if you continue to look in this detail of how he looks at it, he says, look behold, before you I give you. What's he giving you? Curses? Usually the terminology when somebody gives something, it's when you're giving them a, genera- a generous gift. But over here he's using the same terminology, look behold, before you I give you blessings and the opposite of blessings. Why would he say, I'm giving you curses? Thank you for your generosity. I don't need your curses. And also, what's this concept? Look beforehand, I'm giving you. Throughout the Torah, in the previous Torah reading, Moshe used the terminology, Hear, O Israel, Shema Yisrael, Im Shomoya, if you will hear to the commandments that God will give you. In fact, the entire book of Deuteronomy, the word Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Jewish people, is used 52 times. What does the word hear mean? Hear doesn't just mean listen, but understand, appreciate, get to acknowledge and realize and appreciate the word of God. In generally, in Judaism, we find that Jewish people are given the concept to hear more than to see. For example, in last week's Torah reading and the book of Deuteronomy, the second Torah reading, Moshe tells the Jewish people, By Mount Sinai, you heard the word of God. You did not want to see it, but you were hearing it. While Judaism stresses that we cannot see godliness, we hear, we visualize, we understand and appreciate it. While in other religions, especially in Greek philosophy, they make images of what to visualize. In Judaism, it's more understanding, appreciation, realization, meditating, visualizing in your mind, but it's about hearing. So why over here does Moshe all of a sudden use the terminology to the Jewish people? See, visualize what I give before you. The Targum, which is the Aramaic translation which is found on the Torah, immediately also uses different translation over here as well and uses the terminology when it says bracha, blessing, and klala uses the terminology of cursing. But then if you look at another Aramaic translation from Rabbi Yonason ben Uziel, he uses the terminology for cursing. Instead of using a cursing, he says blessing and the exchange of blessings. Now how is blessing and curse exchangeable? Generally, when I say something is exchangeable, is because they too have something in common. Blessing is the opposite of a curse. A curse is the opposite of a blessing. There's nothing in common between a curse and a blessing. How can the Targum, the Aramaic translation, call it and its exchange? It's definitely not an exchange. It's definitely not transferable. It's completely opposite. They're polar opposites from one another. And therefore, the question over here is, how can Moses in the same sentence tell the Jewish people, behold, I am giving you today blessings and curses. What's he giving me in the curses? I don't need your curses. Or he's giving me blessings and the exchange of a blessing. Give me the blessing. 
So some of the commentaries, as we mentioned before, the Rechaim wants to explain that when Moses over here is saying, behold, I give before you, he's actually talking about himself, not about God. And Moshe over here is telling the Jewish people, you know, I rebuked you for the past three Torah readings. I told you everything you've done wrong in the past. But I'm telling you this not as an outsider, but as somebody who has lived this. And he tells the Jewish people, look, I am a person who went through all the motions. I am a person who learned and understood and appreciated what materialism is. I was a wealthy person. I was a person in power. I grew up in Pharaoh's home. I had everything I needed. I had all those challenges. I'm telling you from personal experience that all these things that seem good only come back to bite you. If it's not truth, if it's not what God gave us, if it's not your mission, they're all short-term pleasures. Look to the long term. Look to what the future has for you. And therefore he tells the Jewish people, this is the blessing, this is the curse. I see it clearly, I've experienced it, and therefore I'm giving it to you. So the rebukes that I'm giving you in the past is not just rebuke because I'm an outsider coming here to tell you what it's all about. I'm a person that lived it, I experienced it, and therefore I am telling you how you should go about it as well. You know, many times... We look to rebuke one another. We look to tell off somebody what they're doing wrong. We want to educate people around us. Whether it's one spouse, whether it's a teacher to a student, a friend to his neighbor. We always have to remember the message Moshe told the Jewish people. Be empathetic. Recognize who you're talking to. Recognize that don't just preach to a person. You may be saying 100% truth, but there, there's no empathy for the person you're talking to, it's not going to have any effect. But on the contrary, it'll look like you're talking down, degrading, and you will not be helped that person, be of help to that person to bring them and help them to bring them where they were. Once the Rebbe said the story, adding about a story of the second Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Dovber, that the always many people would come to him for advice whether it was in spiritual matters or physical matters, materialistic matters, emotional matters. And he would always try to help people whatever level they're at, especially when it came to spiritual matters. One time, in the middle of seeing the different audience, the amount of people that came to visit, he decided he's going to take a break. And one of his assistants asked him, why is the Rebbe taking a break? He never usually takes a break. So he explained to him and he says that every time a person comes to ask me a question, I have to find that issue within myself in a more remote fashion. But this way I'm able to help that person get out of the problem that he's in. There was a person who came to me with a terrible dilemma, a grave issue that he's done. And I couldn't find within myself that problem. I said, if I can't find that problem within myself, that means I'm considering myself too aloof from the other people and I'm not able to help them. I had to take a break, recognize where my position is, where that problem may be, and only then was I able to help that person. We find something very interesting as well, and this also answers another explanation. You know, when it comes to the law of the red heifer, 
we are told that the Kohen who cleanses the person who is impure becomes himself impure. And King Solomon said he had no understanding, he didn't understand why that happens. How is it possible that the same blood, the same ashes who purify somebody makes another person impure? And Hasidism explains that the reason why the Kohen becomes impure is because if you want to make another person pure, you have to be able to come to them on their level in some way. You have to be able to reach them midway to be able to schlep them out and get them out of where they are. Imagine a person who's sinking, drowning in the sea. If you're going to stand from a shore and yell instructions, grab the tube, take the rope, what are the chances that you're going to save that person? But if you jump into the sea and you grab the person and you schlep them out, you're more likely able to save them. In order to save somebody from drowning, you got to jump inside. you got to feel where they are, at their place where they may be. And only then are you able to help them. Like many times, we look to answer questions. People have many questions. And as the very famous adage goes, don't answer the question, answer the questionnaire. There are many people that have the same question, but it's one person asking that particular question. We have to answer the person who's asking the question. Empathy for the individual to see where they're coming from, their brokenness, their situation, their ideas, and only then can we reach the core of the individual. Moshe was teaching the Jewish people. He says, if you want to rebuke somebody, speak from personal experience. Show empathy. Understand and relate to them and say, I am with you. I work through these issues and therefore I'm able to guide you and tell you what to choose and how to go about it. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov gives the famous metaphor. He says there was once this prince who got into his mind that he's a turkey. And there was nothing you could do. He would quack around under the table and he would grab the food up from the top of the table and he would sit around under the table and he says he was a turkey. And nobody was able to convince him anything. They called all the greatest psychologists, psychotherapists, psychiatrists, you name it, everybody came. They were not able to convince this prince that he's not a turkey and he's really a prince. The king was going berserk. He didn't know what to do. Finally, some great doctor came in and said, I'll be able to help the prince. But give me a few days. He comes inside and he sees the princess under the table, acting like a turkey, grabbing the food and making quack, 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 and cock doodle do whatever it was, uh, gobble, 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 wherever he walks around to be able to make those sounds because he's a turkey. So this doctor gets down on the floor, goes under the table, and goes gobble, gobble, gobble. And he fi- finally the prince says, somebody understands me. I got another turkey and they're in heaven. They're playing together, the two turkeys. And then he gets the turkey to be able to, you know, start eating and says like as turkeys we should sit on chairs as turkeys we should eat from the table and eventually he got him to acclimate him and gave him the medication that he should be able to go back to being a normal person but what did it take for the doctor to go down on the floor be under the table play with the kid and say look I'm down at your level as the very famous there's nothing as great as a person who is able to lower himself down to a child We have to be able to lower ourselves down to recognize, to come to a person on their level and appreciate them and say who they are and to be able to recognize where they are and then help them grow from there. That's one interpretation of what we can understand, what Moshe was telling the Jewish people when he says, look. But over here, Moshe is giving something greater. 
there's still something missing, even according to that interpretation that doesn't seem to jive with the simple interpretation of the word, Re'eh, look what I have given before you. What is Moshe telling the Jewish people? And it must be that over here, Moshe is giving the Jewish people a greater gift that we can never imagine within these few words. Moshe is giving the Jewish people an idea, a gift, a vision, something which is here for us until today, that vision and that gift, which is that Moshe is giving the Jewish people the gift to be able to overcome the temptation of evil. How is that? Because Moshe says, look, the choice is yours. When you're given with free choice, what looks better? Materialism or spirituality? I can talk until I'm red in the face, but if I see this beautiful item, the temptations of the physical world are overwhelming. How does one overcome that temptation? So what does Moshe say? I'll make it easier for you. What he tells the Jewish people is he doesn't just warn them like he did in the first three Torah readings about the rebuke, about the worries of the temptations of the world, but he actually reveals what these temptations of the world are all about. Moshe says, you see this beautiful shining temptation? You see this beautiful fruit that has this peel on it that looks so delicious? But guess what? When you break that peel, there's even a more delicious fruit hiding behind it. When Moshe was telling the Jewish people, he tells the Jewish people, Riei, see, Anoichi, who I am. What is the word Anoichi? Anoichi is remember those Ten Commandments, who the essential being of everything is. He tells the Jewish people that within everything that exists in this world, there's a godly, divine nature hiding behind it. That even within evil, even within the, 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 the peel, the shell, the materialistic glamour, when you break it all away, you'll see that there's a godly inspiration behind it all that's even greater than it. He says the very fact that you have this temptation and this desire to do something wrong is because essentially you come from a higher level. The lower something falls, the higher it's from. The reason why you have this great temptation is because your soul comes from such a high place. So remember that that energy, that desire, that temptation, that craving that you have for that physical, for that glamorous, shimmering, physical, materialistic pleasure, it's because it's coming from such a holy place. It's because you have a holy soul that gives you the ability to overcome it all. And all you need to do is remove the husk, remove the peel, remove the glamour, and see the fruit that's really waiting for you in between. Like the Alter Rebbe says, like the first Chabad Rebbe brings in the Tanya and he says, when the harlot that is trying to seduce the individual to do an evil sin, to seduce the prince, the harlot doesn't want the prince to sin, but the harlot wants to be able to bring out within the prince his ability to overcome it. And therefore, it pushes it to its limits. It gives it like you do an exercise. When you exercise, you ex- your muscles are hurting, they're in pain. But the more you are in pain, the, more stro- the stronger you get and the more you're able to overcome. This is what Moshe was telling the Jewish people. When we remove the cover, see, recognize 
that a person has the ability to overcome the shimmering of this beautiful, glamorous temptation of the physical world. They can realize that when you're not going to be losing anything, that when you just push aside the glimmering temptations of the physicality, not only are you not losing anything, but you're actually gaining a greater pleasure. And that's the point of the shimmering of the, of the, and, the, and the temptations of materialism, is that you should get to even a greater and higher point. Think of this. There's an unbelievable story which is brought in the Talmud and in the Medrash. It's brought in a little bit in the Talmud about an individual who was one of the great scholars, Talmudic scholars, that his name is mentioned in two places of the Talmud. His name was Nasan Nitsutza, where in other places he is called Marukva. And the story is brought as follows. The story is brought about a fellow by the name of Marukva. He was a very wealthy, successful individual. One time, he saw a woman who he very much desired, but the woman was married. And because she was married, she refused to be with him, as it should be. He, of course, because he was rejected and he was very wealthy and thought he should get whatever he wanted, became very sick because of it. So sick that he was bedridden. He really wanted that woman. The doctors agreed that maybe that woman should just come visit him to save his life. His life was in danger. But the rabbi said, I'm sorry, this is against Jewish law. Especially that he has a desire for that woman that goes into promiscuity. Do not allow it. So the doctor said, maybe she should be able to just come talk to him. But also the rabbi said, no, this may lead to who knows what. We can't allow it. Eventually he got better. However, meanwhile, this woman, her name was Hannah, her husband got stuck with mountains of debt and was thrown into prison. She would come visit him every single day in prison and he would always complain to her and say, you're not doing enough to help me and get out of prison. So he says, what do you want me to do? So he says, you know what? There's a guy in city, in town, his name is Marukva, he's very wealthy, Go ask him for a loan. And he'll give me a loan. And if I get the loan, I'll be able to get out of prison, start business again, and I'll be able to get out of here. This woman was scared to go because she knew that Marukva had a crush on her, wanted her. So what was she to do? But she had no choice. Her husband stuck in prison. She went to the wealthy man in town known as Marukva. And he said, I need help for my husband. He immediately took out his checkbook, wrote out a check for the amount needed for a loan. But then he says, I want one thing. I want you. She now owed him. She didn't know what to do. But meanwhile, she at the same time wasn't sure what to do. Her husband's in prison, but at the same time, she is at a low point. She needs this guy. What was she to do? She turns to him and says, yes, you have me, but try to overcome on your evil inclination. Control your impulses. He thought about it. He remembered something very deep of what she told him. He was able to overcome his evil inclination and dismissed her. 
She went with her check to her husband, brought it to her husband. Her husband said, how did you manage to get the whole amount? You probably sold yourself to him, gave your body to him. As he was released from prison, she refused. He refused to come back to her. He says, you went with that marukva for a few dollars? He said, no, I didn't. We didn't have anything to do. I allowed, but I didn't do it. We were able to overcome it. But he didn't believe her. He says, it's impossible that you would get this full amount of money without being with him, and that's it. One day, Rabbi Akiva was going with his students on the road, and they see a rider on a horse riding in the distance. Rabbi Akiva tells the students, call that fellow over here, the fellow that's riding on the horse. His students say, you want us to call that guy that's riding on the horse? That is Ukva, the sinner who caused the wife and husband to become separated because of what he did with that woman. Rabbi Akiva looked at them and said, quiet. Don't you continue to say words of gossip and of lies. This individual has a light of the divine presence on his head. Call him over. Rabbi Akiva called him over and made him his personal student. When the husband saw how Rabbi Akiva is calling him over and learning with him personally, the husband came to Rabbi Akiva and said, How can you learn with this fellow? Who caused my wife to sin and caused us to separate? Rabbi Akiva says, Don't you see the divine light on this person's head? Don't you realize that this person is innocent? He is the greatest of all people. He is walking with the divine presence. When the man heard it, went, brought back his wife, and they lived happily ever after. And from then they called Mar'ukva by the name of Nasan Tutsitsa. Nasan, the one who had the divine spark on him at all time. But what did Chana tell him? What were the words that the woman told this fellow Mar'ukva that got him to be able to overcome his evil inclination? And the commentaries explain and say as follows. That the words that changed her mind were the words that told her, that she told the fellow. And he said, yes, you want to have and enjoy this temptation? You may be enjoying something. And it may be enjoyful for you. You might enjoy it, but remember, this is only temporary. You should know that if you overcome this temptation, the world to come sits and waits for you. And don't give up something which is eternal for something that is temporary. And with that he was able to overcome his evil and inclination. What was Chana doing over here? What did this woman play into the words of Nasan Tzitzutza? What he was able to do, she said, look, she was able to show him that the exact same place that your temptation is coming from, you can achieve even more than just the temptation. You can achieve even more than just the husk, the peel on the outside. Don't just go for the shimmering on the outside. Go for the real deal, for the stuff that's behind it. Your same evil inclination that's pushing you and tempting you to do evil, that same impetus, that same strength, 
can get you even to a greater place. Sigmund Freud always believed that the deep down within the individual, they're really the core, they're all evil, right? He said the id. And all we do good is only to cover up to only making selfish things. Where his mistake was that at the core, evil, even the evil inclination is good. It is only there to give us the impetus to be able to give us good and to get us to greater places. That means deep down the evil inclination. Let's take the story of Marukva of Nasan Tzitzitza. The temptation that he had for this woman was to bring him to a place that he should be able to have the world to come. Because his evil inclination was so great, therefore his godly inclination was even greater. And that's what brought him to the higher levels. This is what we find. That we understand what it means freedom of choice. What Moshe was telling the Jewish people, A.C., God has given you freedom of choice. Why does he use the terminology giving you? Because giving is the most generous gift that God can give us is that concept of freedom of choice. That we should see beyond the peel, beyond the husk and see the fruit that's in the peel. Don't just get fooled by the facade. Don't just get fooled by the masquerading of the materialism. Moshe's gift that he was giving the Jewish people, he says, hey, look deeper. You have freedom of choice. You have a choice to make. And if you are being tempted by the evil, that means you can go beyond it and you can see something greater than it. Because in order for a person to overcome and in order for a person to see something which is beyond, you need to look deep into it. You can't just hear about it. You can't just, you can't just make it something theoretical. You have to be able to see it. And therefore Moshe uses that terminology, Re'eh, see what I am giving you. I, meaning he's using the verbiage of God, Anoichi, of who the essential being, the God gave you the Torah, and the same Torah that gave you those limitations, those restrictions, gave you the choice, not only the choice, but the ability, the strength, the impetus, and the and the. And the Oh, and the, the vision, the x-ray vision, to see beyond the peel, beyond the husk, and see the godliness within it. We see the same terminology brought in other places. For example, when we learned in the book of Numbers, when the Jewish people had a plague, and Moshe was told by God to put up a snake. And when the Jewish person looked at the snake, all of a sudden they reminded themselves of the first sin, of the sin of tree of knowledge, and that brought them back healing, and they were able to come back to life. Why did they have to look up and see the snake? Why was it enough that Moshe can just tell them, remember about God, think about God, believe in God? Because what Moshe wanted, and as the first Chabad Rabbi explains in the Likutei Torah, in his, in his discourse, he says that if a person doesn't see evil for its core, you don't identify the illness, you'll never become healed. I can learn about the illness. I can study about the illness. But as long as it's only theoretical, it doesn't have a practical application, it's not going to change you. In order for it to change you by the core, in order for you to realize and recognize the difference, you have to be able to see it, grasp it, understand it, appreciate it, and recognize that you can overcome it. This is what he wanted. And this is what Moshe said. Look at the snake. Look at it from the conductor's point of view. I have things like this and I have things like this. These are the challenges. These are the obstacles. These are what you've got to get over. But once you get over the obstacle, 
It's all smooth sailing from there. The same idea we also find. The Rebbe explains an interesting Medrash. The Medrash says that when God said the verse, remember the Shabbos and keep it holy in the Ten Commandments, the angel said, but it also says, remember Amalek. So God responded, you have remember Amalek and you have remember the Shabbos. So they said, how are you going to have both of them exist, coexist? So God said, they're both cups. One's a cup of wine and one's a cup of vinegar. And the question is, what was the discussion over here between the angels and God? What's the problem? Why can't I have two words that mean the same thing? Remember the Shabbos that it's holy is good. And remember Amalek that is not good. What's the problem? What were the angels' dilemma? And what did God answer? One's vinegar, one's wine. And over here, what the problem was, seemingly the angels were asking God, how is it possible for one to remember the Shabbos that it's holy, if that is all positive, that is holiness, if I have a contradicting factor, which is Amalek, which denies in the existence of God? How can one remember both? How can I remember that Shabbos is holy, and at the same time remember Amalek, which is counterproductive, counter the existence of God? Those two seemingly seem counter-existence, counterproductive and negate one another. What does God answer? He tells them they're both cups. Just one's a cup of wine and one's a cup of vinegar. What God is telling them is that Shabbos, holiness, and Amalek, evil, impurity, impurity, the opposite of holiness, all come from God. It's all a matter how you use it. This one is a cup that's used to hold wine. This one's a cup to hold vinegar. Meaning that the point of Amalek is, if you look at vinegar, what, what, what is vinegar? Vinegar was once wine. Vinegar was once that wine and it now became spoiled. Was because it wasn't used properly. That means you can use evil to away, to propel, and to become greater and good. Think of a person who experienced negativity in life. A person learns from their mistakes and they're able to grow in every which way possible. This is what God was telling the Jewish people. The purpose of the human being is to keep the commandment that says, A. See. Don't just be satisfied with the way you see things in a very theoretical way. Or don't just believe things the way you see them on first glance. Look deeper, hey, look deeper into the surface. Don't just look at materialism and say, wow, it's so glamorous, it's shimmering, it's shiny, I want them, it's exciting. Look a little deeper. Look further. Recognize that beyond every peel, there's a beautiful fruit that tastes better than the peel, that looks better than the peel, that is enjoying more. The same thing we also, God is telling every single one of us as we prepare for the high holy days. We have the month of Elul, which is a time of repentance where we are given that vision that God says there's so much coming in the new year. However, we have to recognize that now we're in a time of Galus, which is a time of exile. It looks dark, it looks evil, but beyond it, there's the greatest light that's going to come. The coming of Moshiach. We have to look a little deeper and see that within the darkness of the Galus, Within the darkness of the exile, we can bring about the greatest and most shining moment, the coming of Moshiach, the ultimate redemption for all of us.